Wikipedia has a partial list of countries that celebrate freedom or independence days. And they have 171 countries around the world on that partial list. So we get to do July 4th tomorrow, and we get to do, um, do some fireworks if it's going to come up next. And, um, and this one's for Will and Grace. Are you here, Will and Grace? Where are you? I put a slide in for Canada Day, and they're not here. Anybody else from Canada? You can say thank you afterwards. All right. Um, so 171 countries celebrate freedom or Independence Days. Um, we were in Panama for 10 years, and in Panama, it's on November 3rd. Um, and I actually looked up. I didn't realize that both North and South Korea um, celebrate Independence Day from independence from Japan. And I thought that was kind of intriguing. Um, but nations aren't the only people who celebrate freedom. Evidently, we talk a lot about freedom in our culture. At least we use the word freedom a lot. So I um, plugged into, just to see what would happen, I plugged into Google the word freedom and came up with 568 million hits for freedom in, what, 0.58 seconds. Evidently, we're using the word freedom an awful lot these days. Um, there's freedom of spree- speech, there's freedom of the press, there's freedom of religion, there's freedom from religion, there's all kinds of expressions of political freedom. Um, February 1st in the USA is National Freedom Day, which celebrates the um, 13th Amendment that ended slavery in our country. Um, I'd forgotten this, but World Freedom Day is November 9th when we celebrate the dismantling of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Um, There are websites, Freedom to Tinker, Freedom Furniture, Freedom from Hunger, Freedom Communications, Freedom Feminine Products, which is way too much information, um, and Freedom Fragrance by Tommy Hilfiger. How do they get, what was it, 850,000 hits? Evidently, a lot of people think that the way to become free is to buy perfume somehow. Um, There is the Chase Freedom Credit Card, which, in case you're wondering what I have in my wallet, I own one of those. In Boston here, we have the Freedom Trail. This last week, any of you um, follow Beyonce? Okay. So this last week, right, (laughs) she and Kendrick um, did the, for the BET Awards, did, um, did a program where they let Freedom ring and took Freedom. And this was interesting. I actually watched it for the sermon illustration. I looked up the words to the lyrics of her song, Freedom, which is on her most recent album. And it's a really interesting view, cultural view of freedom. Here's some of the lyrics of just the verse. Freedom, freedom, I can't move. Freedom, cut me loose. Freedom, freedom, where are you? I need freedom too. Listen to this. I break the chains all by myself. Won't let my freedom rot in hell. Hey, I'm going to keep running, keep her running. Because a winner don't quit on themselves. Fascinating cultural view of how we get freedom all by ourselves. And how many of you have seen the new Independence Day resurgence? Have you seen it already? Nobody? So I don't know whether I should go see it. All right. Um, in all the talk about freedom that you're going to have to listen to for the rest of today and tomorrow and if you do fireworks, I wanted to take a look and listen to what Jesus said about freedom in the scriptures. I wanted to allow him to wait because Jesus seems to get that there's a longing in the human soul for deep and abiding freedom. And he invites us to a 
different kind of freedom, not the freedom of people who are trying to sell us stuff and not the freedom of people who are trying to convince us to see things the way they see things. But Jesus, he actually says that he, part of his purposes in coming was that we might experience a whole different kind and different level of freedom. So let me give you the background. Our, our scripture text is going to be John chapter 8. Um, but before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, this, the verses we're looking at are in the middle of a, a multi-day dialogue that Jesus has been having at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's actually the third year of Jesus's public ministry, which is his last year. Six months from when he says these words, he's actually going to be hanging on the cross. He showed up about halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles, and the religious leaders were waiting for him because they already kind of sensed that he was a threat. They wanted to trip him up. They wanted to somehow get him to say something that would get him arrested or allow them to kill him. And so there's this dialogue that's going on, and by the the time they're done with with this dialogue in these chapters of John, the religious leaders are going to call him a liar going to say he's demon-possessed, they're going to say he's delusional, and they are going to try to bring him people that will cause him to mess up. So this is when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, when Jesus said, um, let, the first per- let the person who has no sin cast the first stone. This is also actually, by the way, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's also the time when Jesus said, if you believe in me, then streams of living water will flow from within you. That's all going on in this dialogue. By the time the Feast of Tabernacles is over, Jesus is actually going to bluntly say that he is Yahweh, he is God, he is the great I am. In the year 29 AD, King Herod was rebuilding the Jewish temple. So there were stones scattered all around. And when Jesus said, claimed that he was the great I am, that he was Yahweh, people actually picked up stones to kill him, but he walked through the crowd. Okay, that's the context of what we get to in these verses in John 8, 31 to 36. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what I want us to see as we look at these few verses about Jesus talking about freedom, the next slide here, I want us to see what Jesus actually says about freedom, because I'll show you in just a moment, he's usually misquoted or partially quoted. Um, Secondly, I want to see some of the benefits of the freedom that Jesus offers us, because they are significant enough that I hope that those benefits will motivate us to want to practice what Jesus says will need to be practiced in our lives for us to have that kind of freedom. So what does Jesus really say here about freedom? If you you just kind of look around, or, or very often, when this saying of Jesus is quoted, it's only the second half that's quoted. What's usually quoted is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, which actually is true, okay? If I believe in lies, 
then I'm going to be enslaved to those lies. So if I believe that, that my significance comes from my performance in work or school, then I'm going to be enslaved to my performance at work and school. If I believe the lie that money is what's going to make me happy, then I become a slave to waking, making more money. If I believe that people who are different from me are inferior to me or a threat to me, then I become a slave to discrimination in, in, in my life. Okay, so it's true. If we believe lies, we are enslaved. When we believe truth, we are free from those lies. But that's not Jesus' point. As a matter of fact, if you just pay attention to the second half of what Jesus says, then the goal, you go out and you try to learn more truth so that you can have more freedom. But listen to the full statement that Jesus said. He starts out, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you listen to the whole thing that Jesus says, you don't try to go out and randomly find more truth in your life. The point Jesus is making is he wants us to abide in his word. And that's how we will prove that we're true disciples. But he wants us, when we abide in his word, the consequence is that we know truth that then sets us free. So I want us to understand that the, what Jesus is calling to us here is not random truth searches. Jesus is calling us to abide in his word. So what does it mean to abide in the word of Jesus? Um, it's the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Exact same word. Some translations, some versions use the word remain. So, so here they would say remain in my word or in John 15, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. And here's what abiding is. Abiding is simply to go through life, whatever's going on in front of us, with an awareness in, in the background that Jesus is present with us and that Jesus wants us to respond in certain ways. Now, we all know how, I've told you this before, we all know how to abide. Here's the way that we know that we know. Being anxious about things in our lives is simply abiding. When we're anxious about something, we're going through life, but in the background, we're thinking and worried about something in the, that's going on, okay? That's what abiding is. It's being aware of something else. So we can abide in Jesus, or we can abide in anxiety. When, when you fall in love, madly in love, and you're always thinking about your significant other, okay, that's abiding in that other person, okay? So abiding is simply to be aware in this case, for Jesus to be aware and conscious of Jesus' presence and Jesus' word as we're going through our life moment by moment. So that it doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing, in the back of our mind, we're aware that Jesus is with us and Jesus wants us to respond in certain ways. That's what abiding is. When we abide in the words of Jesus, his words become so much part of us that in every situation in our lives, they come to the forefront. So that when we're, we're tempted to sin, we remember Jesus' words about sin. When we're tempted to fear, we remember Jesus' words about fear. So the point of this whole talk in freedom, Jesus says, abide in my word, he says, and we will be set free. Because if the sun sets us free, then we're really free indeed. So let me show you some benefits of abiding in the word of Jesus, being known as his true disciples so that we're set free. The first one comes from this passage, and it is this. 
We are rescued from slavery to sin and the other side of the coin, set free to live truly good lives. That's Jesus' main point in this text. When he brought up this whole thing about um, the son will make you free, then his hearers said, yeah, well, we've never been slaves to anyone, which is when Jesus comes back and says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And by the way, that means everyone, okay? He didn't leave anybody out. Anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. One famous person um, quoted the second half of what Jesus said here, and, and she said, the truth will make you free. Then she added, but usually first it will piss you off, all right? It's an offense to us to think that, especially if we have not yet come to Christ, it's an offense to think that just because we've done some things wrong, we become slaves to sin. But Jesus says that is actually what happens? Peter says it. He says um, that, let me find it here. Second Peter 2.19, a person is a slave to whatever has mastered them. So anything that masters us, we become a slave to that. Jesus says everyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. And you don't really know that until you start to try to live a holy life. Right? It's when we start to live, want to live holy lives that we realize we've got sins that just stick to us and weigh us down. They start to define us and they distract us from the really good things in life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the son, who is the great I am, the son of the most high God, Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin over our lives so that we no longer are slaves to sin. So listen to how Paul talks about this in Romans 7. Paul says, I want to do what is good, but I can't do it. What I do is not the good I want to do. The evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Ever experienced that? In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we abide in the word of Jesus, he infuses into our lives the power to break sin and its slavery over us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't sin. But what it does mean is we have a choice. It may take times of prayer. It may take times of fasting. It may take time. It may take help from our friends. But the power of sin to enslave you once you've come to Jesus is broken. And that is part of the freedom that we have in Christ. We do not any longer need to sin. But we're not just free from sin. The reason we are free from sin is so that we will live the lives that God intends for us to live. So, um, so Galatians 5.1, Paul says, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then in 1 Peter we read, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Here's one of the things that, um, that you 
ought to know or figure out soon about Satan. Satan doesn't just cause us to sin so that he will trip us up. He causes us to sin so that we will be distracted from the glorious lives that God wants to live through us in this world. You know it's true, right? When I am wrestling with sins, when I'm getting caught up in them and having to clean them up in my life, I'm not focusing on the kind of truly good life that God wants me to live. There have actually been times in my life where I've said no to temptations for the very reason that I don't want to miss out on what God has to do in me and through me if I sucker for those sins. So we're not just freed from the slavery of sin. We are freed for living the lives that God wants us to live in the world. Second benefit of abiding in the word of Jesus as his true followers is we are rescued from slavery to fear and we are set free for a powerful goodness in the world. This one comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. Paul again writes, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Here's what slavery to fear does for us. It keeps us from living the bold ways that God wants us to live in the world. Fears mess with our thinking. Once again, Satan doesn't have to lead us to sin. If he can instill within us fears, then our thinking will get twisted. And we won't even try to live the way that Jesus wants us to live in the world. So if we have a fear of failure, we will either work way too hard to succeed beyond what we should, or we will give up even before we've tried. If we have a fear of not measuring up, we'll be constantly comparing ourselves to others, and that will erode our relationships with others. If we have a fear that we're not lovable, we will not invest in relationships. If we have a fear of loneliness, we will always be spending time with people, even though we know that there are times when we have to spend time be alone with God. If we have a fear of abandonment or rejection, we won't risk relationships or we'll cut other people off before they can hurt us. If we have a fear of the unknown, we become control freaks and have to manage everybody in our lives because we're scared of what happens because of the fear of the unknown. If we have a fear of pain, we will very often develop either soft, physical, or emotional addictions that will control us. All right, the good news of the gospel, the freedom that Jesus gives us, is a freedom from fear. Jesus promises that we do not have to walk in fear. And when we trust him, then instead we get power. So this is the way Paul said it to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. Fear cripples us. Power, love, and self-control launch us into the glorious lives that God wants us to live. We can become unstoppable forces for good in the world if we will jettison our slavery to fear. Jesus does, so the next time you're afraid of something, okay, 
assuming that it's not something good to be afraid of, okay? <laughs> be afraid of stepping in front of a truck. But as soon as you're afraid, as soon as Satan is trying to make you afraid of something, renounce that fear knowing that Jesus has released you from slavery to fear of any form so that you can be courageous and bold and powerful in loving others in the world. All right, third benefit of abiding in the word of Jesus as his true followers, we get rescued from slavery to self and we get set free to love without limits. Rescued from slavery to self, set free to love without limits. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Though I am free from all, so he's absolutely free, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more to Christ. Slavery to self means that I am driven to get what I want in life. I am driven to, to manipulate you to meet my ego needs. I set up conflicts as win-lose, and I am bound and determined that I will be the one that wins. When I am enslaved to myself, I'm always thinking of how everything reflects on me. And again, if you tell me a story of a victory, I'm thinking of how that makes me look. And, and when I'm a slave to myself, one of the things you will hear me say is, do not impinge on my freedom. The irony is this. When we are slaves to self and to ego, we are not free at all. We are driven to push other people away. We're driven to get what we want. And freedom from slavery to self begins... When I remember again, the world was not created for Bill to have his way. The world was created for God's will to be done on earth as it is is in heaven. I'm not God. I'm not the center of the universe. As long as we think we are, we are enslaved to self. But the glory of the gospel is that we are released from self. We can let God be God. We can stop managing the way people treat us and the way that we are seen. We can stop manipulating people to meet our ego needs. We can stop winning in our arguments. We can be selfless. And on the other side, we can finally start to love others without limits. That's part of the glory of being released from slavery to self. We can serve one another in love. And it doesn't matter whether the person appreciates it or not. We're not doing it because of them. We're doing it because we've been freed and we are now selfless and can serve others in love. We can love people who are difficult to love. We can love people who are, 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 don't even want our love. We can love without limits because of the freedom we have in Christ. So, rescued from slavery to sin, from slavery to fear, and slavery to self. Set free to live the truly good life, set free for powerful goodness in the world, and set free to serve without limits. The words of Jesus, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, it all comes down to, what do we do to abide in the word of Jesus? And... 
tough thing about this is it's not rocket science. This is not that complicated. To abide in the word of Jesus is to seek to develop practices of scripture intake throughout the day and every day as often as we can. I've shared this with you before. Really good research on the spiritual life has conclusively proven that the most catalytic thing we can do to grow in Christ, to contribute to our own thriving and the thriving of the world, the most catalytic thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is have habits of scripture intake and then to reflect on the scripture. It doesn't matter whether you read it or whether you hear the word, but you do have to both intake and reflect. Just reading it alone without reflecting doesn't do it. Research has shown us the most catalytic thing we can do for our own joy and to contribute to the life of the world is develop habits of scripture intake and reflect on it. But it's more than just um, reading and reflecting on the word. There are are a whole range of, of spiritual practices of scripture intake. There is meditation on scripture. All right? That's when we stop for an extended period of time and we just ask, Holy Spirit, help me to see deeper into what you're saying. Help me to apply this to my life. Help me to see what this means in my world. Scripture meditation. It, is, it takes some practice. You have to learn how to do it. But it says it usually requires minimum 20 minutes. Better if you have 40 minutes or an hour. Where you choose a passage and you just say, Holy Spirit, let me stay with you here. Until you show me everything that you want to show me in this scripture. Um, there's also beyond reading and reflecting and scripture meditation, there's also the simple study of the word of God. It's kind of sad how we can go through whole years and even decades of our lives hearing the word preached, you know, being part of a church, maybe being part of a small group, but never determining that we will sit down and actually study the word of God. When we study the word, that's when we become aware of of powerful biblical themes that run throughout the scriptures. That's when we become aware of the unique character of the poetic books in the Old Testament. That's when we become aware of the unique contributions of each of the four gospel writers. That doesn't happen until we say, you know what, I'm going to stop being casual. I'm actually going to study um, the Bible carefully. Here's another one, another um, spiritual practice for scripture intake. Bible memorization. When we memorize scripture, I mean, while we're memorizing it, we're thinking about it all the time, so we're abiding in that scripture. And what I found in my life is those scriptures that I memorized, maybe they're 20, 30, 40 40 years ago, those scriptures pop up when I get into situations when I'm not even thinking, because they become part of me, I am abiding in them and they are in me. The psalmist says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When's the last time you memorized scripture? And could I challenge you? Don't finish this summer without choosing some portion of scripture to meditate on so that you are abiding in the word. Beyond scripture meditation or, or memorization, this one's actually really simple and I'm preaching to the choir, I know that. But weekly attendance in public worship is an incredibly powerful tool to keep us abiding in the words of Jesus. Because when we show up for worship, it like pushes the reset button so that we, we remember again, yes, I have been saved for this. 
And, and we start the week reflecting on the things that we've heard in public worship. So I talked to a number of millennials this last couple of weeks who've actually dropped off from their worship attendance. And, and they report pretty much universally that their, their, the vitality of their life suffers when they are not part of public worship. And by the way, you may already know this because you're here, but you have scores of friends who are Christians who have given up on public worship. Call them back. Invite them back to the church so that they can begin again abiding in the words. So they can have that reset button. Board. And then the last one I would just throw out for you is talking about scripture in community is a great way to abide in the words of Jesus. You get together in your community group. You get together with your triad, with your fight club, with your spiritual friends. Because right here, when I'm talking to you, you don't have to come up with anything. You just kind of nod or, you know, nod off, whatever it's going to be, okay? When you're in a small group or across a table with someone talking about a scripture, then you've got to actually imbibe it at another level so that you can reflect um, on it with someone else. All right, I've actually been walking with Christ for over 50 years. I'm 60 years old. I came to Christ when I was five years old. Grew up in a Christian family. I can tell you that there is a direct correlation in my life correlated with my habits of scripture intake is my joy, my impact, my thriving. It's a direct correlation of what Jesus is saying here. Abide in my word and you will be my true disciples. And Jesus promises us a freedom to thrive. I sometimes wonder what my life would look like if I had been more faithful in those practices of scripture intake, if I'd memorized more scripture, if I'd been more attentive to study the word. I wonder what I've missed out on because I just let periods of time go by and I got lazy about those habits of scripture intake. This is not rocket science. Can I challenge you to recommit to a wider range of spiritual practices of scripture intake? Because it's worth it to be freed from the slavery to sin, the slavery to self. It's worth it to be released for powerful goodness in the world. So there's a scripture that is, um, actually it's been my life scripture for the last over 10 years. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. That's another way of saying we're abiding. Um, We all who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which is from the Lord, who is spirit. Nations come and go. National Independence Days will come and go but being transformed into the likeness of Jesus with ever-increasing glory will be eternal. So have a blast tomorrow celebrating the 4th of July, but remember that you have a far greater, more glorious freedom because Jesus Christ, the Son, has set you free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the invitation to 
recommit to abide in your word. And help us to encourage one another in that here at Cornerstone. Help us to share what we're, we're seeing in your word. Help us to ask one another how we're doing with our practices of scripture intake. Help us to go deeper by meditating and studying and memorizing your word. And then, Father, we simply ask you to do what Jesus promises will happen. We ask you to to release us to the glorious freedom of the children of God so that we can look back in a year, maybe next July 4th, so we can look back and see how we have become incredibly powerful for the kingdom because we've let go of our slavery to our fears or our slavery to ourselves or our slavery to our sins. Would you help us to to show Boston what it looks like when the sun sets us free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.